Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Time to get started now. Matthew chapter 8, that's where we're headed, back to where we left off. Exciting things this morning in the passage, three wannabe disciples come to Jesus with the wrong idea of what it means to be a Christian, and Jesus has to set them straight in shocking terms, and so we look forward to what he has for us. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, we always like to just pause and ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding. These truths are so sometimes subtle, sometimes uh, easy to miss if we're not paying attention, if we don't uh, have the Holy Spirit helping us. So we look to you, God, uh, to open our eyes to these things and make us willing Uh, to put these, some of them difficult truths into practice so we can be a blessing to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. When we're young and particularly teenage years, uh, we start thinking about what we want to do with our lives. And sometimes some of our ideas for the future get a bit romanticized. You know, Uh, we have a moment of inspiration, right? And we get some emotions about something. And then suddenly we want to be a concert pianist or a professional athlete, an astronaut, a Navy SEAL, or a doctor without giving it much consideration of what would go into such an adventure, maybe what would be required. And when someone gets that glazed look on their face uh, and they seem to be totally disregarding some of the cost or the sacrifice or the downside of the the very thing that will be so wonderful, uh, before you begin that path, it would be a good thing to really be thinking in reality, to have a reality check, uh, to get a good grasp on, on the commitment, the cost, the challenges involved. And this, of course, will reduce the possibility of a false start, you know, which would lead to an embarrassing kind of a waste of a time, a fallout, you know, all that time and effort and all of that uh, when some of the unforeseen Um, harsher realities come to pass. And then that new beginning that was so exciting comes to a quick end, you know. And so you find out, oh, there's long, crazy, endless hours involved and just you don't have a life except studying or practicing or training. Uh, The impact of the quality of the life once you get there, the stress or the danger involved in some of these wild kinds of adventures and crazy schedules and all of that. So, yeah, it's wonderful to dream big and to have uh, inspiring goals and epiphanies concerning our life's direction, but it's also good to really kind of blow the pixie dust out of our eyes And uh, sometimes that comes with strong and blatant, uh, blunt words that are very helpful. And they're they're not mean-spirited. They're just uh, an effort to help us to become successful. They may be difficult to hear sometimes when you're all excited about something and somebody says, do you have any clue? Uh, And then, yeah, uh, it's actually done in love to help you not have a false start and, you know, ultimately shipwreck. You know, when you're considering what it would take to to live the Christian life, 
um, we have to shoot straight with those people and because if they get an unrealistic understanding of what it means to be a Christian and then something goes wrong, uh, then we set them up to shipwreck. And so that's exactly what's going on here in Matthew 8. Uh, Jesus seems to be doing just that here with uh, three would-be disciples and with some really difficult and explicit and really shocking words to kind of help them understand he knows they've got the wrong idea. And even though we can't hear it by what they're saying, he who fashioned the heart knows what the heart is thinking. And so he's able and willing to set them straight out of love so that they might be blessed. And so there are three disciples with three uh, proclamations and three ways Jesus answers all three. Let's take a look, starting at verse 18 here in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, it was time to go. He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law, a rabbi, comes to him and says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I think you know what I think is going on there. Jesus replies, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, a title for the Messiah, has no place to lay his head. Still interested? Oh, moving on. Another disciple says to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Wow, shocking. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's found in Luke, that little last phrase. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, look, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. God and wow, those are some strong words to for sure blow some pixie dust out of the uh, thinking of these three wannabe um, disciples. The word disciple just means learner or follower or student or Christian, right? And Jesus wants us to make disciples of all men and women. And he sent us out with that reason. Now, these three proclamations are perfectly reasonable things to say, all three of them. But there's a problem that we can't detect that Jesus is on to. And we know that by the way he responds to them in a challenging way. And we also know by the quiet that follows. Something isn't right. And Jesus goes about in sometimes a little bit of a shocking way to get their attention. He kind of waves some smelling salts in front of them. Whoa, okay. And so better a little slap into reality than to live in a fantasy world that will ultimately end badly. And so let me assure you right up front, Jesus is not being rude or unkind or insensitive at all. Uh, you cannot know what these verses mean with a superficial read. You have to dig a little bit deeper. And I think you will find uh, that the words that Jesus speaks has done so out of love and compassion for these wannabe disciples. Hey, look, do you really understand what it means to be a Christian and follow me? He wants them to succeed. You know, he's not being unkind. God is love. And 1 Corinthians 13 defines what love is, and it's never unkind. And it is not rude. It is sensitive, and it behaves uh, with great grace toward people. And so 
it sounds like Jesus is dissuading people from coming to him when in fact the entire Bible is one big call because he's come to a world that he loves and he wants everybody to come to him. Take a look at two of the call narratives as they're called. Uh, come to me, all, anybody who's weary, that's your qualification, that you're really tired and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, partner up with me, Do work with me and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. You have nothing to fear coming to me and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke, my job requirement on you, it's easy. My burden is light because the Holy Spirit's gonna do the heavy lifting, right? And then another call that just says, come to me. Jesus says in John 6, that was Matthew 11, by the way, I am the bread of life, he says, whoever comes to me, whoever will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. These are all these callings that say, come to me and have life. Come to me and be saved. And, and he says, I want my house in heaven to be full, right? So far from seeming, thank you for those, we can go back to the, the opening text there. Uh, far from seeming like he's discouraging people, in reality, God never discourages people. He wants you to firmly realize what you're getting yourself into uh, because that will determine whether or not you're going to be successful. So are you ready to walk through and have your hearts and my heart freed up from any false ideas about what it means to um, follow Christ? Because here we've got Jesus understanding of what it means to be a follower of his. So we're right on the money. If you've ever wondered, well, what's the Christian life and what does God require? Well, you're going to get three good lessons here coming from the Christ who calls men and women to follow. So the context is helpful. Jesus has been doing some incredible miracles of healing and we watched three of them last week. Lepers had been cleansed and a servant raised up from his deathbed. And he's healing everybody. Quadriplegics would be brought and they would rise from their stretchers and demons were being cast out, uh, crying out, you are the son of God. And this was done so that uh, his claims of being equal to God could be validated and realized and Jesus would be vindicated by proof of doing what only God could do. And so no wonder the emotions of especially the first guy that we're gonna zone in on in a minute here, no wonder his, uh, he's got the warm fuzzies and as I've been saying, pixie dust is flying in the air because he's been in arm's length of God in a human body seeing Jesus do these incredible things that only God could do and he's witnessing. And when Jesus speaks, God is speaking. So he's hearing the voice of God unfiltered. Well, of course, he's moved, right? but his lips are speaking a little faster than his brain is processing, and he's kind of got the wrong idea. And let me just say before we dive in, salvation is a free gift. You qualify by being a sinner and heavy burdened and weary. You come to him uh, because you can't make it without him, and that's just the truth, right? So we come to him, that's the easy part. We come to him, it's free. We don't have to qualify, but to work out that salvation, there's a cost. Uh, it's not a bed of roses, Jesus is gonna tell this guy. And so we can have the wrong idea, but he's going to talk and, and, and give these guys cause to pause to understand what following Jesus is really about. So he does this for these three would-be disciples. Uh, and uh, he's going to tell them, three of them, and here's your three points if you're taking notes. One of them, he's going to correct the one who's got stars in his eyes. The second guy is the one who's always putting things off, especially when it comes to um, the things of the Lord. And the third guy is the one who loves to make excuses, and he makes it sound really plausible, but Jesus sees right through him. 
And so we begin with the guy, guy who's given to glamorizing the gospel, which is easy to do and very popular if you want to fill stadiums filled with people with your false doctrine. Uh, you tell them what their itching ears want to hear, and Jesus is going to say the exact opposite of what prosperity preachers are saying today. Let's dive in, isolate those couple scriptures for you, a couple verses there, verses 18 through 20. I'll paraphrase. As the crowds are pressing in, it's time to go. Jesus said, I've got to go preach the gospel. I didn't come just to um, do miracles. Miracles aren't the point. The gospel, reconciling our souls back to God the Father. So he says, I got to go do that and preach the gospel. So get in the boat. We're going. And the... They're going to cross uh, just, it's going to be a three-mile little diagonal cut through the Sea of Galilee there. Uh, as they're headed to the boat, a rabbi comes swooning, I will follow you to the ends of the earth kind of thing. And Jesus there in, in verse 20 says, well, just so you know, <laughs> the birds and the foxes have it better than me right now, even though I am the Messiah. I'll explain that title, Son of Man. Uh, to you. And so he says, right now, I don't have a place to lay my head. Still interested? Right? So we're into uh, point one with the guy uh, romanticizing the gospel. And so he has a mistaken idea that life with Christ is going to be more glamorous than it was. And so Jesus is going to correct that, a common problem indeed uh, with this me-centered uh, prosperity gospel. And so time to push off to the other side. There at verse 18, he's leaving. And doesn't that explain why the, the, the question of following him comes up? Because he's leaving. He's leaving locally. So these are local uh, at some level. They've called themselves disciples and they're named disciples in the text. So, and, and, and he is getting ready to go on a ministry tour of who knows how long he's going to be gone. And so the question of following him, which is what disciples do, now comes to the fore, right? Because he's leaving, who's coming? And so if you're a disciple, he's saying, let's go, right? And so this well, one guy is chomping at the bit and the other two are dragging their heels. But all three are going to present a very, some pretty good truths about the Christian life. So he's headed to the boat and up comes a teacher of the law. The law means the Bible. It's called the law because the Jews saw it as the law of God, not suggestions. And so they nicknamed really uh, the scriptures as the law, the law. But they're really referring to the Bible. So he's a rabbi, or you can call him a scribe. He's a Bible teacher, and his heart gets touched. And of course, uh, he, his heart gets touched considering what he's seeing and hearing, as I mentioned. Uh, but a careful reader of the Bible will know right away there's going to be a problem by the way he addresses Jesus. He calls him teacher. That's a problem. No one who's a disciple in the entire Gospel of Matthew ever calls Jesus teacher. Only the bad guys. <laughs> Only the bad guys. And so there's a problem when somebody says to you, I think Jesus was a really good teacher. One answer is, well, then why don't you do what he says? Uh, but the other answer is that, you know, not a lot of people uh, in the Bible called Jesus teacher. They really called him Lord. In fact, last week we saw that the two people who get their miracles address him as who he was claiming to be. They were saying, I believe you are Lord. And Lord has divine quality to it. And so when a man could hear the claims of Jesus to be equal to God and then see Jesus doing what only God could do and then call him teach, hey, teach, and then use a title that he himself goes by. Hey, teach, I'm a teach too. We're both teachers. What do you know? Oh, no, there's a problem. There's a disconnect. And so he gets starry-eyed and he says, hey, teach, because he doesn't understand. And so Jesus knows our hearts, and, and by his answer, he reveals the rabbi's heart. It may be well-intentioned. 
You know, if there wasn't a problem, Jesus would say, hey, welcome. Wow, love the devotion. Let's go. See, but there's a problem. There's a problem. It's well-intentioned, but his thinking seriously flawed. And so C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, says it this way. I wonder if this man thought, well, now, I'm an important scribe. If I joined this team, I would certainly be a leader. It seems that there are only fishermen and common men. If I join them, I'll be a great addition. Here's my big opportunity. Did he think to himself that traveling with God's miracle worker would guarantee a life with great amenities? Jesus seems to think this is how he was thinking by Jesus' solemn reply to him. And so the stinking thinking goes this way. Uh, when, when you got the miracle worker in your life, oh, well, then you won't have any problems because he'll wave his magic wand and anything that uncomfortable or, or something that distresses you or causes you to be uncomfortable in any way, you just call on your God and he does his magic and he gives you a stress-free, wonderful, perfect little life, you know? So if there was food needed, we've got Jesus. He makes bread out of the sky. Come on. If there are resources needed, accommodations, the miracle man would wave the wand and make it happen. And people still buy this nonsense uh, even today. And sadly, false teachers uh, teach it, right? So that God's primary purpose is to make us happy and comfortable. It's all about me. It's a me-centered health and wealth and problem-free life, the prosperity gospel. Uh, but we are God's servants. He is not our servant. To make us happy, he's making us holy as we make him happy. Amen. And so Jesus just wants him to know. I mean, maybe the guy was watching some late night TV and he got into those wackadoodle channels up there with the religious uh, people. Uh, and maybe that's where he got his little uh, pixie dust uh, prosperity gospel. And, you know, because Jesus says, oh, you, you'll follow me wherever I go. Well, how about across the lake where we don't have a hotel? I know you're willing to go to Timbuktu, right? But how about 15 feet when there's going to be a little bit of trouble? It's not a bed of roses, my friend. That's all he's going to say. We need some balance because coming to Christ is like, mm, what? I want to say winning the, the lottery, but it pales in significance to anything earthly. Coming to Christ, you are co-heirs with Christ. You have God in your life. He does promise to save and deliver and to heal and to give us the wisdom we need. And so balanced out with, balanced with, this inexpressible joy and the glories that nobody could really even grasp is ours in Christ. Along with all of the blessings comes adversity that Jesus warns us about. And he says, I just want to make it clear to you, here are three facts. John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you're going to have trouble. This is a promise from Jesus. But take heart. I've overcome the world. He's going to say, look, you've got sinful nature. And you've got a spirit that's going to strive against that. You've got a world that rejects truth and Christ and God and wants to do things their way. You're going to have friction there. And you've got an enemy, the devil. So, of course, you're going to have trouble. People are going to do terrible things. It happens, and you're going to get caught in the middle of something. But I promise you, I'll work it for your good. I'll use it to grow you. I'll deepen your, your faith and your intimacy with me. And I will, <laughs> I will polish off your rough edges by using some of the afflictions. And so, but it's part of the Christian life. And then he says, yeah, everyone in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's no way you could shine light in a world that's dark and not cause a little bit of pushback. And that's why there's a guarantee. You shine bright in a world that loves darkness, you can get a little bit of some opposition there. And then thirdly, he says, consider it pure joy in James chapter one, 
brothers and sisters, whenever, it's not if, it's when, you face troubles, pressures, the word means to be uh, squeezed, uh, troubles of many kind, because you know it's a good thing. God's using it to test your faith. It produces perseverance. That means you get strong spiritually through it. And let perseverance finish its work so you'll be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And so those are the, the realities that we shouldn't lead with. You don't want to lead with it, but you have to lead with it if someone's got uh, a glaze over their eyes and saying, oh, this is going to be so good and so perfect, and I'm going to get the girl of my dreams, and I'm going to get the house, and I'm going to get the car, and I'm going to get the job, and I'm going to have perfect health, and nobody's ever going to hurt my feelings. You're in for some surprises. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Well, all of that, we don't lead with the downside, of course. Who would? But we include the downside because it's part of reality, right? And not to have that in there. So he says, our rabbi friend, he says, I'll follow you to Timbuktu. By the way, Timbuktu is in Mali, if you're interested <laughs> in a nice vacation. Um, yeah, so what is he saying? He's saying, I got a song for you, Jesus. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough to keep me from getting to you, babe, Lord. <laughs> so Jesus doesn't, <laughs> Jesus doesn't affirm or reject. He just clarifies. And by his clarity, clarifying, uh, we find out what the, the guy's problem is. And so he's saying, great. FYI, tonight we have no accommodations at the Hilton in Jerusalem, right? Well, you may be walking to Timbuktu. You may be carrying the bags. You may be carrying my bag. You may be carrying all of their bags. You may be carrying Judas' bags. And who wants to do that? They're a little lighter because he helps himself to the money. Uh, but yeah, you may get the job nobody else wants to do. And you may be sleeping on top of a rock in a root and under the open skies. And it may rain. And it may rain tonight. So I just, FYI, I just want to know, you still in? Or did I push my finger right on the button that we know is your problem? And so, yeah, he says, and check this out, man. Teach. He calls himself the son of man. He's, he's slipping that in to the teacher who calls Jesus teacher, right? He says, by the way, I'm not just a teacher, Daniel chapter 7 is where you get son of man from. And Daniel's having a vision of the second coming. He's seeing the glorious God appear. And here's what he says. Oh, my word. I see God, but he looks like one of us. He looks like a human being, a son of man. And so Jesus uses that. It's used to Jesus 80 times to say, here's God in a human body. He's son of God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he's son of man, born of a virgin woman, human being. He is both son of man, he is son of God, but son of man has deity claim. <laughs> deity claim. So subtly he's saying, and sir, when you address me as teacher, it's not adequate. And that's part of the problem. You gotta understand who he is. And so he says, Jesus is underscoring the irony here. <laughs> He's saying, do you see the paradox here? The son of man is creator of all things as God. And the creator of all things doesn't have a place to lay his head. And the foxes and the finches, they're doing good. They have a home. But right now in Jesus' life, and this is what he's saying, when I get in the boat, I'm going on a mission that's kind of different. I'm going to a cross. I, it, this ministry is a nonprofit ministry. We've got a 501c3, whatever they're called. Uh, we don't have steady jobs right now because we're working in ministry, no reliable income. I'm on a different kind of mission. I'm giving my life away. This is a ministry about dying to self, den denying self, picking up a cross and following me. FYI, so are you in still? Appreciate it. Yeah, Timbuktu's far, and I'm glad you'll be there with me. However, I just want to know is, is your understanding of how we get there. 
And then the most touching thing that most people don't recognize in John chapter 19, from the lips, from the one who has said, the son of God has no place to lay his head in this life. But then on the cross, he breathes his last. And John chapter 19 tells us, he uses the word, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word bow there is to lay one's head. He laid his head on the cross there. And finally, the Son of Man had a place to lay his head, which was the culmination of why he came not to lay his head on some feather bed of comfort, sir, rabbi, but to lay his head on a cross. So FYI, you still in? You're going to identify with somebody they're going to crucify? That my place is the cross in death? And if you say yes, just so you know, then there's resurrection and life eternal and eternal pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Yeah, he doesn't hold back the good side either, but he just wants to know, you know, smelling souls, everything good, you know, we know we're going to have some adversity and loss of some creature comforts for sure, but it's all going to be worth it, right? And so... Yeah, you know the parable of the sower. Before we move on, one last thought here. The parable of the sower, the Lord says, you know, uh, people who preach the gospel, it's like they're planting, uh, sowing seed. And there are four kinds of hearts, four kinds of soil in people's hearts. One is really hard and the seed can't get in there. And but the second one's just as bad. The second one is shallow, rocky soil where at once he says, boom, there's life. The seed germinates. I'll follow you wherever you go, right? And tears and all of this talk. And he says, but then the sun comes out and it gets warm. And in the heat of persecution, troubles, offense, <coughs> problems, unforeseen stressors, the plant that has no root that just said, I'll follow you wherever, goes, woo, and you never see them again. And Jesus in love is trying to get this man to a healthy place because he loves him. And he wants him to make it. Now, it would have been nice to read <clears throat> the rabbis say, very true, touche, Lord, I get it. I'm coming hell or high water, nice cozy bed tonight or sleeping bag, feast or famine, I'm yours. Let's do this. Instead, you hear crickets. That's what you hear. Doesn't bode well for what happened to our romanticizing rabbi. So the stars are out of his eyes and there's more room in the boat. <laughs> and the next disciple has the opposite problem in verse 21. Let's take a look at that. Look at the word, says another disciple. He's claiming to be one of us. Says to him, Lord. Now here's the problem. Look at me first and Lord. <laughs> Lord, let me first. No, no, you can't say me first and Lord in the same sentence. <laughs> Lord, me first, go and bury me father. <laughs> he was from Ireland. Most of you didn't know that. Uh, verse 22, but Jesus told them, no, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Sounds very harsh, but you'll be happy to know that something is going on here but you go and serve me and preach the gospel and tell of all the wonderful things God has for people. And so we've moved from our rabbi romanticizer to the procrastinator, one who likes to put things off. Because when you put things off for God, it's a so much softer, nicer way of saying no. Right? Well, just put it off. I'm not saying no. But Jesus, he made the heart. He knows what's in the heart. And so he's going to go after this guy. So when God is calling you, young man, everything else takes a back seat. Even if, hmm, what could get in between you and the voice of God telling you to do something? Don't you think God figured out uh, all of the things that concern you when he's calling you to draw near to him? <laughs> he knows that. 
So fill in the blank, you know. I would come to God, but is there something worthy of barring your soul from heaven and being blessed by God and disobeying God? I mean, there's, there's no point to it. Jesus is going to win the argument, even if we lose the would-be disciples. So Perhaps Jesus motions his head to the disciple because he's leaving and disciples follow their Lord. So Jesus is like, chop, chop, let's go, right? You're a disciple, aren't you? And so he said, no, he gets cold feet and he puts him on hold. Listen, you can put your boss on hold. You can put your brother on hold. You can put your buddy on hold. You can't put God on hold. It's not wise. It's not safe. It's not beneficial to you. That's the thing. It's not being a big meanie and a dictator. It's always, always, always for our good and our benefit that we obey when God says, hey, duck. You know, he's saying duck. And you're like, who are you? Do you know the boss of me? Why are you always picking on me? You're always telling me to do stuff. Boom. You know, you should have just ducked. You know what I'm saying? Okay, perhaps. Uh, Jesus is saying, chop, chop, let's go. Um, and so here's where you'll be happy to know that Jesus isn't <laughs> telling the guy, oh, your dad's died and you want to go to the funeral? No. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not how Jesus is. Number one, Jews were commanded to honor their mother and father and show parents the utmost care and respect. Jewish law, the Talmud, required that Jewish males attend both funerals of their parents. That's just all over the Jewish scriptures. And to honor mother and father and to be at their funerals is to include being having a proper burial and all those family obligations. And so the Jewish custom also happened to be uh, burial happens hours, a few hours after death, a few hours. So had dad died in the morning, they never would be having this conversation. He wouldn't be there, right? Had the father died earlier, there's no way. And so uh, they would already start the process there. And so, you know, I already pointed out that we knew there was going to be a problem when he said, Lord, let me first. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. So more likely to the point, the man's parents were alive and the, the man is saying something like this. He's referring to his obligation that rested upon a good Jewish uh, son to care for his father in the declining years until his eventual, years down the road, death. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus, yes, I'm in. But someday later, after my father has died, as I get everything straightened out, you know, and I got to make sure that I get my share of the inheritance. Or, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But this, <clears throat> this is not the right time, Lord. <laughs> This is not the right time in my life to follow and preach the gospel. Lots going on in my family, okay? Uh, try me again in five years or so, and I'll let you know if it's a more suitable time and convenience for me to do what you're asking me to do, comma, Lord. Um, I don't think that's going to work, and it doesn't. Jesus will say in another place, why do you keep calling me Lord and don't do what I say? He goes, you know, it's almost like the princess bride. I do not think you know what the meaning of that word is. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think they did. You know, one writer said half of the Christian's dilemmas would be solved if we paid better attention to our opening word in prayer, Lord. Hmm. I've got another quote here for you. Now, the Lord Jesus would encourage every believer to show the utmost compassion and care, not just for their own families, but for all who grieve the loss of any loved ones, which is the most painful time in anybody's life, to attend services, to come alongside, to be helpful, to offset costs, to comfort, to support, is the heart of Christian compassion. 
But here is a man in whom Jesus detects insincerity, who's using family obligation and the death of a parent as a trump card to excuse himself from obeying the call of God and to follow Jesus. And he thinks he has an airtight case, doesn't he? Over against the Lord. And so Jesus is going to play his game, call his bluff and up the ante. Time for some shock therapy. So here's what verse 22 means. Saying, listen, son, plenty of people out there who's resisting the gospel, they're spiritually dead to God. They're void of life without Christ. Therefore, they are quite well suited to deal with burial arrangements since their whole entire life, spiritually speaking, is like a big funeral. So let those who are spiritually dead deal with those who are physically dying. But I'm calling you to be a remedy to all of that, to go preach the gospel of life and raise them from that condition. Do you see what Jesus is doing? You be about the business of life, not death. So nice try, nice try, but God comes first no matter what. Now, one commentator suggested that Jesus, if he was saying to the, to, to, to the young man, stop playing games, follow me. What is this? You'll follow me in five years from now. What if your dad lives to 90? You know, come on, that's just an excuse. And, and, the, and the disciples say, yeah, wow, Lord, you nailed it. Uh, forgive me, you're the Lord. What was I thinking? You come first, let's do that. And then two years later, they suggest that dad dies. The disciple looks at Jesus as my dad died. I just got word. What would you have me do, Lord? Because there was a little thing in the past, you know? And Jesus would look at him, suggest it here, and say, are you kidding me? Get out of here. Go take care of your parents. Go take care of your family. Of course. But he's not dealing with the content of the request as so much as the content of his heart. Right? And so too with the next guy. It's not the, can I go home and say bye to my mom? And like Jesus would say, no, just leave them wondering where you are for the rest of your life. Never contact them again. No, that's not it. He's not talking about the excuse. He's going past the excuse to the guy's heart and saying, dude, I'm on to you. I'm on to you. Let's not play the game. I'm going to meet you at your lame excuse and then stop you from making the excuse that way. And so let's take a look at this guy here. Our last disciple, still another disciple is implied there. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my mom and dad. Jesus replies, oh, please. No one who puts his hand to the plow looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now we move from the rabbi with the stars in the eyes, which are diminished now. He's most likely gone home with lackluster countenance to his lakefront property and soft bed. (laughs) Number two, (laughs) I'll say I'm sorry to him if he's in heaven and, and it wasn't the case. Number two, the man with the supposed dead father, he's gone now. He probably took his dad to dinner that night instead of getting in the boat and maybe talked about how Jesus has unrealistic uh, demands. (laughs) And now it's time for a guy who likes to make excuses. And this guy's negotiating with Jesus. He thinks, uh, I'm going to negotiate a better deal than the guy right before me. Because the guy right before him said, I'm yours, I'm coming, uh, but it may take a few years. And he gets up and says, well, I'm coming, I'm yours, but it might take me only a few days. Because all I got to do is zip in, zip out, and say goodbye. Charles Spurgeon says this, Oh, young man, when you are thinking of leaving the world, be afraid of these farewells. They have been the ruin of hundreds of hopeful people. They had, uh, they had almost been persuaded to follow Christ, but then they go home to their old companions just to give them a last kiss and the last shake of a hand, and we have never seen anything of them again afterwards. Put no distance between you and the one who saves you and wants to bless you. Strike while the iron is hot. You may never get that conviction of your sins again. 
So many people get right up to the, oh, this will be terrible in hell. Oh, terrible. To get, have in life been at several occasions, moved right there at the door and just put it off and said, maybe in the morning, I'll, I'll just go home, talk to my parents or whatever it is. And then never come. Because in the time from I'm about to do it to let me just go say bye, you get re-entangled. The girl says, hey, can't we just be friends, you know? Maybe we can get back together, you know? And boom, gone. It happens all the time. And Jesus just is pointing this out because he loves us. And so interestingly, <laughs> as I've been saying, it would be more than okay. He would demand it if it wasn't a lie. He would demand it. Are you kidding me? I want to go with you right now. Well, actually, we're going to be gone for a year and a half. Have you let people know? Do people know that you're with me and, and you may not be back? Go home and say goodbye and get your affairs in order. Did you give your two-week notice? That's Jesus. If he wasn't lying and full of baloney, and then Jesus wouldn't have to just call his bluff like this. And so... Jesus says, no, you know, no to the excuse making and shoots it out of the sky for the man's sake. And because Jesus knows the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Most everybody in hell will have said, oh, it's my intention. I was going to get saved. I knew, I heard, I, I, I agreed with it. Oh, I just kept in the devil, just kept the carrot out in front. No, 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 don't do it today. Do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes. No, no, don't do it today. Do it tonight. And then tonight comes. Oh, no, 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 do it in the morning. And then he gets you to die in between one of those times. That's what Jesus is trying to get him to avoid. Strike now while the iron is hot or the fire is hot or iron's yeah, you know. <laughs> Do it now, right? That's the point. So, yes, again. So God prizes respect and responsibility, not leaving people hanging, you know. So he would say, go and do it. But Jesus isn't dealing with the straight shooter, you know. He wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants a Lord, but he wants to have a little wiggle room. And so, yeah, we see that all the time, excuses. You know, I can't come to Christ. I had a really bad experience in church once. I had a horrible tragedy just happen. I need some time. I know a bunch of fake Christians. Uh, I can't be a Christian because my Buddhist parents would throw a fit and disown me. I can't be a Christian because I'd lose my job at CNN. <laughs> you could get hired at Fox. What's your problem? All right, make a mark, snip, snip the tape. <laughs> All right, I couldn't resist that. All right, so here's what Jesus is saying. Get in the lifeboat to all of you, the whole list. Get in the lifeboat, then I'll help you deal with all of this. They're all legitimate. They're all real. My heart goes out to you, but you're drowning. So get in the boat. Come to me, and then I'll help you. Make your list, and we'll go through them one at a time, top to bottom. Amen. But just get in the boat. Why use anything as an excuse to keep you out of heaven? That's just not right. Amen? Amen. And so he, Jesus borrows a proverb of the day as we wrap up now. No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the Lord's work. See, Jesus saying, oh no, you're not getting out of here. Normally, if your intentions were right, you could go and say goodbye to your parents. Quick, chop, chop, we're leaving, right? But since you're not being forthright and you want some wiggle room and you're hoping something will happen and you have no intentions of coming back here, I'm gonna bar your way out by telling you the proverb. He says, we use it every day, don't we, here in Israel? Uh, let me show you a picture of somebody plowing. I think it's in the tropics somewhere. Here's a very similar way they used to do it and still do it, obviously. Uh, but one hand to goad, usually, and one hand to hold the plow and to make sure that they had straight furrows. 
they would fix your attention, as I've been reading about this, on a tree or something in front of them that doesn't move for point of reference. And they would not, for the life of them, take their eye off the tree. Because when they did, and they're looking around, the furrows would be crooked, right? And so it was like, if you keep looking back as a Christian, you will have a crooked life. You'll be meandering all over the place because how can God show you what's ahead? How can you make room for new beginnings and what he has for you tomorrow if you're stuck on 10 years ago and you're obsessing there? You only have so much reservoir space to deal with. So Jesus is saying, empty every day, start fresh and, and cl cl clear, uh, forward march, onward, upward, leaving... That which is behind, forgetting what lies behind and pushing forward and upward to the upward high calling of Christ. This is the job. And then a straight look, gaze forward, creates a straight furrowed life of blessing. Straight and narrows always the way to go. Man, and marriages, come on. Marriage is always looking back. Now, if something's done in the past, sometimes it has ramifications in the future. But if those things are dialed in and dealt with and there's been apologies and repentance and asking forgiveness and all of that, it's a sin to keep holding on to those things. When Christians are called, if it's done properly, we're called to let it go completely, 100%. Part of that is so we can go forward with the life God has for us today. I've heard so many, husband and wife both. Well, you know, 20 years ago you said, what? How can you go anywhere when you're tied to 20 years ago you said? And in that one case that I'm thinking about, oh, there was vast repentance and healing and blessing. They left it miles and miles or so, you would think, until suddenly the head gets turned. Jesus says, don't do that, young man. Don't do that, because it's not mommy and daddy you want to say goodbye to. There's other things back there that you are going to get entangled with. And he says, I'm calling you to go forward not backward. Amen? Amen? There are three things, three sentences, three takeaways that I learned today. Number one, regarding the Christian life, Jesus calls us to know that, number one, it's not always going to be easy. Number two, God and his will for our lives must always come first. And lastly, we can't serve the Lord effectively if we're always looking back. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, we pray that you would help us to put these truths into practice because uh, we still struggle with them. We have you and the Holy Spirit, and we still struggle. So give us the victory as we uh, put our uh, focus on you and uh, want to do your will, God. Let this go deep down inside and make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 